a significant portion of independents and libertarians and republicans voted to keep reproductive choice mm. granted there aren't many um the like the democratic party in kansas has not put as much uh effort towards the western part of the state and so like part of what i did in the months leading up is i helped mail out postcards. Like I am not someone who likes to knock on doors for mm -hmm. obvious reasons, yeah. <laughs> triggering. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah. I, I don't like cold calling, but I will write on a postcard until my hand falls off. And it just about did. Like I wrote out about 120 postcards, mailed them out to like South Central, Southwest, West Kansas. And a, a whole bunch of people were doing that. and. The way we phrased it was, you know, don't let the government make healthcare decisions for you because that's what it boils down to. Yeah. And that's something that even no matter how you feel about progressives, the government doesn't get to tell you what to do with your body. And I think that was the where we met. Yeah. yeah. And agreed. Yeah, we agree on this. Hey, what's going on, party crashers, level setters, and trailblazers? In this episode of Level Set, my friend Tanya Spacek and I are breaking down the August 2nd referendum vote in Kansas on the value of them both. It was a big win for Kansas and a huge win for the United States. We're talking to Tanya about this because as someone who works across the state of Kansas in her daily life, uh, she also works as a, uh, a precinct worker uh, for an election site in Kansas. And so she's going to take us into her world in the days leading up to August 2nd and uh, really looking at what happened the day of and her reaction to it. But then we get into, we're, we're talking climate change. We are, we're, we're just, we're really getting into um, a whole host of justice and equity issues, uh, places that uh, I didn't know we were going to go, uh, but so glad that we did. And then we talk a little bit about our origin story and how and how we became friends. So this is good. This is going to be fun. Again, it's it's a, it's a good time, but it is also a long time. Our conversation that you're going to hear today, it's over an hour. Uh, I actually think that what I might do here in the next few days is I might release the full two-hour <laughs> conversation that we had. It was so rich, rich and so deep. But I think you're going to enjoy it, especially if you're really interested from the perspective of, of someone who uh, was working to support uh, the, the civic process uh, on August 2nd. Uh, I think you're going to dig it. So enjoy this episode of Level Set, and we'll catch you on the flip side. So, Tanya Spacek, what's been going on? Anything going on in Kansas uh, this month? Did anything happen? Probably not much. Not much, really. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was yeah. one thing, though, right? Wasn't there something last uh, week? Thing? Yeah, there was an election or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow, Kansas has become the darling. Like, um, so I, I, I'm just 
time. I so I wanted the reason why I wanted to talk to you is like um, a I all right full disclosure. I actually started this podcast just because I wanted an excuse to talk to friends that I haven't talked to in a really long time. Uh, <laughs> but then I also very specifically wanted to talk with you about um, August second in Kansas because um, you all set the world on fire in like the best possible way. Um, I don't know. You all kind of saved freedom. It feels like for now yeah. in one state. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we definitely uh kicked fascism down the road a little bit. <laughs> yeah, what Maybe was a it? A little bit, just a little bit, just a little bit. What's gosh? I mean, so I don't think there's anybody listening at this point that doesn't know um, what happened um, on August 2nd in Kansas, but um, but the voters of Kansas um, defeated the value them both um, constitutional amendment, which I got to tell you, Tanya, like the the messaging that they had really scared the crap out of me. Yeah. Um, because who doesn't want to value them both? And they sent out last minute text messages to everyone who was registered as a Democrat that mm. voting yes was going to retain choice and voting <laughs> no would take it away. And that's just like, <sighs> yeah, like I was telling Nick, as soon as I, I saw that that amendment proposal and saw the way it was worded so that you would have to vote no because people like want to vote yes on something like yeah that's just the way that they set it up so that you would have to like vote no to keep something right, right? yeah so it's already counterintuitive Yes. And they did that on purpose. They totally did that on purpose. Yeah. I so you you worked the polls that day. Mm -hmm. Right? What was that like? First of all, like how did you become a poll worker? Like I, I you know, like I I I've never done poll work. How did you become a poll worker? It's easy. Um I went and voted in the 2012 election at my local uh polling place which used to be Pinckney School and they had mm. it was set up basically in the hallway between the principal's office and the gymnasium cafeteria and so mm. you got this nice smell of like pizza a little bit of vomit a little bit of piss a little bit of clean <laughs> oh you know <laughs> but and like yeah you basically it, it was to me, it was such a novel thing. Like I mm -hmm. love voting because it feels like, like a very strong connection to place, like where you are, mm. you are like participating in direct democracy, you know, like you are voting locally for people who are going to make decisions about the school make decisions about the post mm -hmm. office, you know, like make decisions about things that will affect you immediately and you, you know, vote for representatives or whatnot. And I just, I used to see people do it as a kid and I always wanted to do it when I grew up. And so, but I always thought 
because anytime I went in the vote, I would see elderly, mm-hmm. uh, assuming retired people. Yeah. And I thought, oh, uh, you know, helping people vote, like you have to like have a job with the county or like you have to be retired or something like in my head it was like yeah when i'm old i'll do this <laughs> and then when i went in in 2012 to vote um i just because it was kind of a it was kind of a um a very crowded uh polling place and they were really like putting in some work to keep everyone organized and getting through mm-hmm. in a you know smooth and quick manner so that people could get back to work and all that and I said, hey, I just want to thank you all for volunteering your time to do this. And Robert, uh, one of the poll workers, looked up and was like, honey, we get paid for this. Like, you want to do this? You could do this, too. And I was like, good. <laughs> and he handed me, he, like, pulled an application out of a folder like he was ready. And he was just mm. like, fill it out, turn it in. <laughs> They're like, fresh blood. We got a newbie. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Um, and I thought, because I asked about the time commitment, like I, I asked him and he was like, well, you got to do a training and then you, you, you know, you show up the day of and you're here from six to eight. And he's like, you could do it, no problem. And he's like, we'll, we'll show you, we'll teach you, like you learn from us and you, you know, you can't screw up. And I was like, awesome. Okay. And so then the place I worked, um, you know, I was working at KU at the time, so I had plenty of vacation. Yeah. And so the next time there was an, I, I filled out my application, sent it in. And then the next time I did uh, the primary, it was still in April. They moved him to August, but it used to be in April. And that was yeah. my first election. And yeah, I got a check in the mail a couple of weeks later and I got to hang out and eat candy and talk and get to know people in my neighborhood. Like, because you're looking up people's names and you see their address and you're yeah. like, oh, I see that guy jogging like every day. Or I see, oh, I see that lady walking her dog. Or, oh, crap. I I used to work with that person. I didn't know they lived around here. And so it's been a, a really great way to get to know my neighborhood, like, like very intimately, mm. get to know my neighbors. Yeah, talk to me about that because it, it sounds like the experience of of working and serving your community in this way, it 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 kind did it change your perspective or did it just open you up? Like kind of how how did how does this work? Like how does it change your perception or or even your 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 sense of your place in the community? Um I definitely felt more connected because because people were all of a sudden people were looking at me like I knew everything because you know when you go to you vote like you know once or twice a year but like yeah. a lot of people vote on the even years or they vote mm-hmm. for the presidential so it's every four years and so yeah. every time they go in it's like they're brand new They've never done this before yeah. and you have to walk them through it. And it's kind of like the Costco parking lot. Probably. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but, they're, but you know, they're looking at me like I've got all the answers. And I'm like, well, this, 
binder I have probably has all the answers. I can look that up for you if I don't know. <laughs> but it, it just was like, I don't know. Um, it just made me feel like I was actually doing something good for the community. Like uh, seeing all kinds of people come through, you see people who you can tell they probably don't leave the house very often, but they come yeah. out to vote and like they come in in using wheelchairs. They come in using walkers. They come in, you know, being led by someone else sometimes. But, you know, like we mm. have people who use the um, we have like a, a special kind of uh, ballot creator for people who have like he, uh visual impairments or they have like fine motor deficits oh, really? so that it, it'll make the ballot like really big and then they can do like a touch screen oh wow and so they don't have to like try to color or anything they can just tap their choice and it's it's still done privately and then when they're done it prints out a ballot that they can then take to the machine and put it in and like we have somebody who has uh cerebral palsy and that's that's the machine that he uses to vote and and then we have we had another person use it who had like visual impairment yeah but that's it's great like i'm, I'm really happy that we've they've made it more accessible so it sounds like it sounds like even the process of voting, uh, there there are more accommodations, and yet it also feels. Like, I mean, it's it's so interesting to hear that there there are, are accommodations um, to really try to make it as easy as possible for uh, people that you know um, with differing abilities to be able to cast mm -hmm. a ballot. Yeah, and at the same time, we are seeing states trying to make it more difficult just in general oh, yeah, for, yeah for, our, for people to vote our county clerk um created a voter id in response to the voter id laws that were passed back in i want to say was it 2015 or something yeah. like that 2016 around that time where you had to have a photo id and he recognize that there's a lot of people who can't afford to get that or you know like maybe they have other pieces of id that could confirm their identity but like they can't get to the dmv or whatever like yeah my my oldest ended up getting one because his wallet was stolen the week before the election hmm. and oh, wow. i was like i got this i ha we have your birth certificate we have your social security card we have this proof of address let's yeah. head down there and he was able to get it and he was able to get it for free. And so many people ended up using those to vote who had not voted before. Like I had not seen them come through. And then the next year, uh, what was it? I think it was maybe last year or the year before, but the Kansas legislature like specifically prohibited voter specific photo ID cards. Huh. So those are no longer valid. So that's fascinating. So the county clerk read the laws and like, 
innovated and said, oh, we'll just create, you want to, you, you, you have a voter ID law. I will create a voter uh-huh. ID. And then that the legislature says, well, when we said voter ID, we don't really mean that you should be helping people get yeah. a voter. Wow. It That's met insane. all of the criteria for a state ID, but it was free to the public. So that's the only so so they specifically banned that. It, yeah, that's it. So I know that like. But they all, would take they would take like a hunting license, and there was like a specific kind of I think it was a. There was some kind of permit that they would accept that didn't even have a photo on it, but it was like either a hunting or a gun permit that people wow. could show in lieu of a photo ID. And I was but, like, this is just theater. Like, Yeah. So, so I'm curious. I want to, I kind of want to go back real quick, but, that, but I, I want to come back to, to, to what you experienced um, on the second, but you you'd mentioned something earlier about that you've always loved voting mm-hmm. and you you know, loved voting since you were a kid where does that come from uh that comes from uh watching my parents uh have strong opinions about political leaders but because of their religion um they were forbidden from participating in elections mm. And seeing from a young age how how the difference between one person becoming president and another person becoming president could mean uh, the possibility of you know your parent losing their job or like getting yeah. their benefits taken away. Like I, I watched my mom and dad um, talk about whenever Reagan fired the air traffic controllers, and my dad was in the UAW, and he's like. Carter wouldn't have done that. Like Carter would yeah. have made them, he would have negotiated. He would have made them work it out. Yeah. And just realizing that, um, I don't know, probably just, just being a union baby helped me realize I've always had the mindset that collective action is where it's at. <laughs> like yeah. there's power in numbers and seeing, I w- and just as a kid, I was like, why would you not have a say? <laughs> like, why yeah. would you choose not to have a say? If you ever got invited to be a superdelegate, would you be a superdelegate? Uh, possibly. Uh, my, my son did that for Bernie back in, what, 2016? Yeah. 20, whenever that was. And he is politi- politically activated because of me, probably. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he was eight. Uh, was he eight? Yeah, like he got involved in, in um, I guess, community organizing and getting out the vote and mm. calling people. And yeah. And I, I don't know, possibly. There was there was a. I, I definitely lean progressive, mm-hmm. but I've been seeing memes go around that are like, you know, Democrats saved Kansas and, you know, or like, you know, look what we're getting under Biden. You know, they saved the, the 
reproductive choice and we got Chaco Taco back, you know, like, yeah. and I'm like, <laughs> hold on. <laughs> we saved ourselves. Uh, yes. That percentage, the spread where it was like 60 odd percentage versus 40 odd. That's like the reverse of what it is to Republicans and Democrats in Kansas. Like hmm. Biden only, what was it? Democrat vote was like. I think he got 38%. 30, in, yeah. Yeah, in 2020. Yeah. In Kansas. So it's like a significant portion of independents and libertarians and Republicans voted to keep reproductive choice. Hmm. Granted, there aren't many um, the like the Democratic Party in Kansas has not put as much uh, effort towards the Western part of the state. And so like part of what I did in the months leading up is I helped mail out postcards. Like I am not someone who likes to knock on doors for mm -hmm. obvious reasons, yeah. <laughs> triggering. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I, I don't <laughs> like cold calling, but I will write on a postcard until my hand falls off. And it just about did. Like I wrote out about 120 postcards, mailed them out to like South Central, Southwest, West Kansas. And a, a whole bunch of people were doing that. And the way we phrased it was, you know, don't let the government make healthcare decisions for you because that's what it boils down to. Yeah. And that's something that even no matter how you feel about progressives, the government doesn't get to tell you what to do with your body. And I think that was the, where we met. Yeah. yeah. And agreed. Yeah. We agree on this. Yeah. Talk to me, talk to me about that because you, you said something that struck a chord and I think it struck, it probably strikes a chord with, with most Kansans is that Kansas saved themselves. It wasn't, it wasn't an outside group. And I know a lot of, a lot of people like to talk about how much money was spent in this election. Mm -hmm. uh, there certainly was a lot of money being spent by uh, the Catholic church uh, yeah. in this, in this election. Um, but Kansans did this themselves. Talk to me about, you'd mentioned the power of collective action. So like, like, what was, I mean, it sounds like there was a lot going on. It didn't just happen. It, it wasn't by happenstance, but like, when did you first start paying attention to what was kind of what was on the ballot and how did you see other folks in Kansas starting to, to mobilize? I think as soon as it was introduced, <laughs> mm. it was just like, oh, no, 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 no. Um, you know, and with the Supreme Court leak and then the affirmation, yeah. like, the decision came down. I think it was just like a series of like events that just everyone could see what was coming. Yeah. And people were already pushing, like, we can't, we can't let this pass. We can't, we can't have this. Like, we've already been through that great experiment that like yeah. almost destroyed the state. Like, we don't want to, we don't want to experiment anymore. We don't want to, we don't want to do that. We don't want to. 
Talk to, to us see. a little bit about that. The great, <laughs> the great experiment. Talk what for those who uh, are like what kind of what is that? Um, that is where uh, somebody comes into power with a specific ideology and is like, "We're going to make Kansas the example of yeah. what you can do when this ideology." Yeah. is the ruling ideology. Mm. And yeah. then it was like cutting off the bottom of a cup of <laughs> coffee and just <laughs> <laughs> the, with money, <laughs> like yeah. gone. Yeah. No funding, no funding for anything. We yeah. used to laugh when I first moved to Lawrence, we used to laugh about how bad the roads got when you crossed over from Kansas into Missouri. Oh yeah, it's horrible. And then it's turned. Yeah. And now all the Kansas roads are just <laughs> as bad. It's like, thanks, Brownback. <laughs> like, thump it up, thump thump as you're going down 435. Yeah. I will never forget, because I was working, I was organizing around healthcare at the time that Brownback came in the office and Kansas was actually, there were six states who were leading the, they were innovating on developing exchanges for the Affordable Care Act. They were one of mm -hmm. six states that had gotten this federal grant to pilot exchanges like way ahead of, yeah. you know, so uh, the ACA didn't go live until 2013. We were looking mm -hmm. at, it's like 2011. Yeah. And he comes in, he wins the election of 2010. And he comes in and he's like, we're giving all that money back. It was like a $31 million grant from the federal government to build this. And the insurance commissioner, she had to give all the money back. Yeah, that was sickening. It was just. It was I horrifying mean, to watch. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so I think, that, but that's part of probably why, Tanya, why people across the country were so shocked that Brown Bakistan uh, <laughs> is the same is the same place that beat back this this value of them both. So you bring up a very interesting point that that Kansans had been through this forced a forced experiment mm -hmm. um, that you know decimated. And pretty much all of our public infrastructure. Oh, yeah. And uh, so many kids were thrown into poverty. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it was gross. And yeah. it was like the number of children experiencing poverty was equal to the amount of people they had, like, kicked off the, like, Medicaid and, what, TANF? Yeah. Rolls. Like, yeah. It basically was... Like, yeah, they immediately always started experiencing poverty. So I think about, I think about you, and I'm, I'm glad you're bringing this up because it just makes me think about something that both, something I've both tried to promote and something that really upsets me. Um, it upsets me. I'm not upset by the notion of resiliency. I am upset that adults create systemic environments in which we require children to be resilient and that if they're not resilient, then it's on them. Yeah. It's their fault. Yeah. 
Um, it's easy. Resiliency becomes almost like weaponized because it individualizes yes. the experience instead of saying, we're really sorry. It's all messed up here. It's like, yeah, you just need to buck up. <laughs> like you just need to yeah. get better armor, kiddo. Like, Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I think Tanya, I think for me, that's what scared me. And quite frankly, pissed me off about the value them both messaging on top of all the underhanded, like getting on and sending the text messages that were false, their commercials that were mm -hmm. clearly uh, blatantly misleading, intentionally so. But the notion of valuing them both when these same, I don't want to say these same people because. I think since Brownback came in office, there you know, there's kind of a weird cocktail of of people who've kind of come together, whether they're they're right wing Christian fundamentalist, um, you know, small government, no government kind of people. But for these people to be like value them both when you intentionally gutted the social um systems that would that would act that actually do the work yeah of valuing uh women valuing children valuing families and i, I it just it just struck it just struck um the wrong kind of chord for me so i appreciate that framing of you know so let me ask you this if we hadn't gone through the Brownback experiment and it hadn't failed so spectacularly, would we would would we be looking at a similar outcome um, on August second? I don't know because Kansas doesn't exist in a vacuum, and what was happening in Kansas when Brownback was in charge, really gassed up a lot of conservative groups mm. and kind of, they felt empowered to start trying to push that in their own states. So I don't, we might, I'm trying to think. Because as somebody who utilized the social safety net when my kids were young, I mean, it's already pretty brutal to try to access services. It's already really hard. It's like a, another job on top of the job yeah. you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, it is. Uh, so just thinking about what it was like even before Brownback, how hard it was to access services, um, and how often I had to sometimes do the work of the people who were supposed to be helping me, especially when it came to like child support enforcement. Yeah. Um, I, I think that people would have, I don't know, I think the margins would have been smaller. I, I think it would have been more of a, a, a close tie, honestly. Because I don't think people would have felt as alarmed. 
Yeah. And that's, that's my half educated guess. <laughs> but no, but it, 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 it's important because I, I think Tanya, like it's hard for, I think it's I, people were shocked, genuinely shocked. I think there was an expectation on the part of everybody who doesn't live in Kansas or doesn't live like in the bi-state Metro that, Oh, it's a conservative issue. Surely Kansas is going to vote down a woman's right to choose. But like you have this being a Kansan, like you talked about how on this issue, somehow um, Republicans, Democrats, independents, people who, haven't traditionally participated, especially in a midterm election. A midterm primary. Yes, a midterm the primary. The one that nobody goes to. Right. What how how did this happen? I guess that's how what what is it about Kansas that brought this coalition of people together to say, no, we're not we're not doing this. Well, uh I think that there were a lot of community organizers who started putting out the messaging about how when Kansas started, it started out as progressive. Like I heard a lot of free state messaging, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, like keep Kansas the free state. And, yeah. and granted, I'm in the little blue dot here <laughs> and surrounded by... I mean, I've, I've been out to Western Kansas and, and it's definitely a different environment and people have different priorities because life is different out there. Mm -hmm. It's hard. Like I, as part of my job, I have had to put together like lists of resources for like Southeast Kansas and Western Kansas. Mm -hmm. It's, I mean, it's a food desert. It's a medical desert. It's like, they have nothing out there. Yeah in the way of help. And so I can kind of see why they're just like, yeah, just you know, pull myself up by my bootstraps and the rest you can do it too. Cause you don't care about us out here. And I know that there was a lot of push to like reach people out there and be like, listen, like this also is about individual rights, you know, and this is about the government yeah. not making healthcare decisions for you. And this is about remembering how you know, the history of Kansas has been progressive mm. and let's not go back. Like, let's yeah. not go back. But like individual rights and like bodily autonomy was definitely a big push. Like that was definitely, the messaging was definitely like, keep Kansas a free state. So you but, did you did all of this stuff up front. You, and, and then... It's election day. Mm-hmm. What was that? What was that day like for you? Like it felt a lot like the general election of 2016. Mm. Like the, the my stress level. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> like it, it was at general election 2016 levels. Um and I mean, at the end of the night, like, and also because I got burned um, because Lawrence, you know, it's liberal. And so 
the 2016 um, Clinton won by like a wide margin in, in precincts yeah. that I was you know, like in the precinct I was helping with. Mm -hmm. And I looked at, you know, the closing ticket at the end of the night for that you run off the machine that shows yeah. how many votes were cast and, and what the results were. And I just like sighed a little sigh of relief and was like, oh, and then just like wrapped it all up, <laughs> handed it to the supervising judge and then put on my jacket and walked home and went to bed and then woke up the next morning, just like, oh no, oh no. So, yeah. so I mean, yeah, at the end of, of the day, I mean, sometimes it got tense, but it was because people were so freaked out that they, that they wouldn't be able to vote. Like it would get tense because people, people were so nervous. Like their oh. hands were shaking when they were taking their photo ID out of their wallet. Like they were so terrified that we were going to like look at it and be like, no, it's not good enough. You know, like voters were nervous as hell that they would not be allowed to vote. And this is a, this is a, this is a midterm primary election mm -hmm. with a lot of marbles on, you know, well, uh, August 1st is moving day. There's a lot of people that moved. And so there yeah. were people showing up to their precinct or, trying to go to their old one so yeah that's part of it so was it so was it just was it chaos at times like what like what was happening it wasn't so much chaos we just had to be reassuring um jamie Shu, who's the county clerk he is amazing and he's like you don't let anyone leave without casting a vote if we do a provisional because we can always do a provisional ballot yeah. and all that means is that you know when they're done canvassing after the election, they go through there and like, there's this checklist of why this was a provisional ballot. And it might be no photo ID. It might be um, a different address or a different name or person just moved here or whatever. And then there will be somebody at the county clerk's office who, because that person has to put their contact information, they will call that person. Can you come in with your photo ID? Can you verify your address can you if they can get it verified then it's like awesome your vote counts you know we can yeah. count it and so and especially like i could just tell like especially when people like their address didn't match in the system with what they had and they were like oh no like and they were freaking out like they were like oh my god like i only have so much time i have to get back to work like yeah. Please tell me this, you know, like even the idea of doing a provisional ballot that would take like an extra five minutes to fill out was so daunting. We ended up, we had one person just devoted to provisional ballots because he was like super calm and was like, I will walk you through the process. Like, it'll just take a few minutes. You just have to fill out your information because people were like panicking that they wouldn't be able to vote. Like the, the people that came in felt strongly about whichever way they were voting you could tell so you i mean that's just it, it it's sad you know like you know, just the, the you know, people being that that tense and it also at the very same time and this is going to sound you know paradoxical but like encouraging that it mattered like this mm -hmm. that this election truly mattered to folks um like how, were you all fully staffed 
did you have enough people? Were you guys also just getting getting burned out? Um, we at my precinct, we were fully staffed. Uh, like I mentioned to you earlier, a full 25% of the poll workers in Douglas County were out due to illness, either COVID or mm. cold or flu symptoms. Yeah. And so when I went to go pick up uh, some of the equipment I would need for the next day, um, I, well, I went to pick up the blank ballots the night before and I overheard one of the people, one of the workers say, that's our last sub. Oh. Like so many people um, after 2016, like so many people signed up to be poll workers. They volunteered to be poll workers that they were like, oh, we have an embarrassment of riches here. Like all these people, we have to turn them away. Like we had like six people at one point that were just like um, first time, you know, showing yeah. up and just like doing it. And then, and then like over the next couple of years, it kind of went back down to the regular amount, I think, but I think they called everyone who had ever turned in an application and they managed to get every place fully staffed. Cause you have to have, you have to have somebody, uh, you have to have like a Republican and a Democrat. Like you can't, yeah. you have to have at least two people at all times who are not of the same political party um, just for the sake of transparency and just for the sake of like making sure that no one's colluding to do something hinky, right? And you have to be able to have people to, to curbside vote. Like there are people who can't get out of their car or they're sick. Like there was yeah. somebody who thought they were ill with COVID and it was that they were going to have to do curbside voting because they didn't want to come in and you know possibly pass that around yeah and so you have but you have to stop voting you have to stop everything inside so that two yeah. people can go out and help that person vote so mm. but they managed to have us all fully staffed and <clears throat> i mean i would i was that was really impressive <laughs> like i don't know how it went in every county but i i was I was taken aback by how many people were ill. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that could have, I mean, and thankfully it didn't, but I mean, I just, you know, just think about like what that workload would have meant for um, the rest of you all. Yeah. Um, well, they would have probably consolidated precincts, but then that would have increased the wait time for people and people would have been having to go to different places and trying to get that messaging out. Like they made it work. And so, yeah, that was luck. <laughs> yeah. So at the end of the night, all the ballots are counted. So, I mean, I guess and I double wanna... counted and yeah, triple and, counted. <laughs> I was going to say, how does that work? Tanya? Like, Ooh. is there like, do is there like a counting team and there's like the, there's a team and then there's another team that does the double check and the triple check. Like how does that, mm -hmm. how does that work? Um, there were four of us and I was going around shutting down the, the machines because we have like the check-in pull pad where instead of a big pull book, now it's pull pad, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going around um, making, counting like the provisional and the spoiled ballots and 
getting numbers for those, getting the closing tickets from the various machines that people have used in the voting process. And then there was there were people counting the provisionals and making sure that there were no provisionals mixed in with regulars. And then people were counting them out by party because this was a primary. So you did have Republican and Democrat and you had unaffiliated. So you had right. three different ballot types that had to be put in piles. And then mm. they would all like rotate and one person would count what the other person had done and see if they came up with the same number. And then there's like this form that I have to fill out that looks, do you remember how, like, have you ever done logic problems yeah. where they have that grid yes. where everything <laughs> has to match up? Uh-huh. That's what it looks like, the different ballot types and then what we were given and what we're sending back. Like it it takes all of my math skills to sit there and, <laughs> and add it up. And there's such a it's such a relief when the numbers all add up and I've got as many ballots going back to them as came in, plus the advanced ballots that people drop off. But as long every, when everything adds up, it's like, okay, we're good. And then we have to go around and secure everything with, with tamper-proof locks. But we have to write down the number of the lock on the sheet that we're about to put in the secure bag. So you can't make a mistake or else you have to start over. Oh, in, oh wow. <laughs> oh yeah. So, so I got through it. I was so proud of myself for getting through that process without having to like break a lock and start over. And cause we've had to do that before. And then yeah, I looked at the at the closing and it said that like our precinct was like 91% or something like that. And I was like, I'm not even going to look at anything. I'm going to go straight to bed. Like after I drop these ballots off, like me and the other guy um, took everything down the county clerk's office. I had to sign, sign out. I had to sign the sign out sheet that they were receiving them from me and I got in my, and then we got back in the car. I dropped him off at his car and then I drove home and just like went inside the house and just like took a Benadryl <laughs> and just went to bed. Cause I was like, I don't want to know. I mean, there was a part of me that was, I was very sure that it was just that, it, that the yes would went out. There was just a part of me that was just convinced. Wow. I just, I could not, I, I could not um, set myself up for a disappointment like that. So even though your precinct had overwhelmingly came in to vote no, mm -hmm. your gut or something was telling you like, there's no way that, there's no way this could actually be the sentiment of of the entire state. So what was it like when you saw that Kansas destroyed this, this bill or this, oh, uh, this amendment? Yeah. Um, I, what was it? I did try to go to bed and then I couldn't sleep. And even with the Benadryl on board and my husband was going to get off work soon. And so I think I, I hopped on Facebook very quickly because I remembered that I had to reply to someone's message. And like the first thing I saw was 
a meme that said something about like, I don't know, it was something with the Wizard of Oz and Dorothy, and it basically uh-huh. said like, you know, eat doo doo. and i was like oh and then like the next thing said like i'm so proud of you kansas and i was like oh okay well i'm still gonna go to bed (laughs) because the counting's not over it takes a week to count all the votes and the next morning i woke up and i saw that the margins was like 60 to 40 and i was like oh it was to me it it was like, well, this wasn't overwhelming, overwhelming. <laughs> like, you you wanted more. You wanted a you wanted a, a wider margin. I. Uh, I think if I had seen a wider margin, I would have been like, okay, maybe we can change some other things here in Kansas. <laughs> but like mm. seeing the sixty forty just kind of made me feel like okay, we're holding steady. Mm. What are some of the things you would like to see changed? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I would, I would like uh, parents, I would like to see like working poor parents not punished for being poor. Like I would like to see the safety nets built back up to Mm. a level where people don't have to have, you know, two or three jobs. Cause you see like, because I work, I work for a part of the state that manages, like we go in and evaluate like programs for families and children. Mm -hmm. And I see just like how much we as Kansas fail families and children just over and over again. And there just seems to be no, there's, it doesn't have to be like this, you know? Yeah. And so I would like to see this, you know, I would like to see like Medicaid actually expanded. Like I would like to see a legislature that, that accepts that money and expands Medicaid and like, um, you know, increases the the cutoff for benefits yeah. for when you're right on that cusp of not quite making enough money to um, to be okay without benefits, but like you get too close to that cutoff line, and it, yeah, you you end up not taking a raise because that fifty extra cents an hour. Yeah. will take away like your kid's health insurance and all this other stuff. And you're, you know, there's a lot of like horrible decisions that people have to make every day and just try to. So I, I really wish that, uh, I really wish that the foster care system would be overhauled hmm. because that it, is another. That sounds like a, it sounds like it's been a mess for quite some time. The oh, foster yeah. system in Kansas, like we lost a lot of kids. Like we just, I don't know where they are. Like there was that whole thing where, like, but like lost in the system. Like we really had no idea what was happening with them, where yeah, they were, like, were they safe, were they alive? Right. Like we don't know where these children are. How like, do we? we do, how does that happen? Children. How do we? How does that even happen? Like. 
Well, because the messaging is that people who use the system are less than, and there's, there's still this like stigma associated with uh, being poor. And, and it's like this idea, well, you shouldn't have had kids. Well, like there's a lot of people that are doing fine and then they lose their job, the housing crisis. Yeah. Like when I volunteer with Family Promise, like we've had people come, like most of the families when, when we used to actually do like in-person staying overnight at, at whichever church was hosting, everyone had a job. Everyone was working full time, yeah. but like a divorce or an unexpected surgery would just cause you to not be able to make your rent and then yeah. you get evicted or whatever. And it's just like, it doesn't really take much, you know, for, for you to end up in a situation like that. And so, yeah, like we just need to, <laughs> we need to like really bulk up the schools so that we can pay the teachers so that instead of making it so anyone can teach because you want to keep the pay low, like actually pay teachers yeah. what it's worth to teach future doctors and future engineers and future yeah. mail carriers. And yeah, like I, I would just go around just money to everyone. <laughs> yeah. So you'd mentioned earlier that one of the things that at least the democratic party doesn't do well in Kansas is, is, is really connecting with, um, with people in you know, kind of Western Southwestern, um, Kansas. Yeah. Like, is there, is there an opportunity? And I don't, I don't know if this is, if, if, if August 2nd is the opportunity, but how how do we begin to to understand and, and 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 create a dialogue because they've just kind of we've forgotten about them how do how how do we reach out i mean what is that what does that work even look like well i mean the fact that i was mailing postcards to people in different counties I have to assume that they did not have like an official like Democrat because they were registered Democrats, but mm, living yeah. in Western Kansas. Right. Yeah. And so I have to assume that. And I think in a conversation I had with somebody at the, the office here in town that like not every county has a Democratic voters like yeah. place like it just they can't support it they can't su yeah. like because you need to have money for like rental space and all that yeah. right it's like a whole you have to have the infrastructure there and they right. can't afford it out there there's not enough democrats to support that because yeah they rely on fundraising individual fundraising and stuff and so i think it's like well i mean maybe if you did like like regional like even if you have like regional offices or something yeah where you're reaching out because i mean they're dealing with like out in western kansas they're dealing with like water situations where like oglala aquifer is going down and so 
people who are not normally environmentalists are starting to see the need to be environmentally concerned and mindful about water usage. And they're forming like these, these coalitions of farmers who are like working together to be like, okay, I'm not gonna take any more than my share so that you have some. So it's like, if we could just get Democrats in those various counties, like even if it was a regional presence or, and it wasn't always a mailing asking for money. Yeah, right, right. Like even I get sick of those. Like yeah. I sign up because I really like somebody and then I get at least a couple emails a week. Like we need money. We need money. And it's like, yeah. I, I ain't got it. Right. And this is getting annoying. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's like, I think if instead of like, just constantly like not signing up people to get on a fundraising list, but like staying engaged with them and being like, what topics are you concerned about? Like, yeah. you know, what are your priorities and what would you like to see this party do for you? Like, why do you vote Democrat? You know? Yeah. Like, and, and give people a chance to be heard at a time other than the election and, and make them feel like, okay, maybe I'm the only Democrat in my neighborhood or in town, but like, you know, over the next County, someone gives a crap about me and my situation yeah. here. I, I'm Tanya, you've kind of blown my mind because until just now, I had no idea that there was like a water crisis in Western yeah. Kansas. Like it, it just, I've never heard it, yeah, the, seen it in the news or anything. The, yeah. The aquifer has gone down by like 25% and it's not recharging because climate change is making it so that instead of like steady rains, we end up with like, monsoons yeah where yeah. And the water doesn't get a chance to trickle into the ground it just like washes away the topsoil you know mm. and we're having less snow melt which is another way that the underground aquifers get recharged and so like and th they produce a lot of really really intensive water intensive crops out there and so they're having to look at different crops and like trying to do no-till and trying to do like that really precise water management for crops. But what yeah, part of that, part of that is um, working with your neighbors and working with people within your same watershed, but who are maybe upstream from you and making sure that they don't take, you know, suck up all they can so that they don't get screwed over because then that screws over the person downstream. So that feels like a, like, you know, you've been, I feel like there's this been this theme of like the impact of collective action and that it's not necessarily collective action in the way that we would think of, of classic organizing, but there's a clear kind of like, um, kind of what I call the, what do you need? What do you got? kind of mentality and and how do we support each other so and they're doing this they're they're solving or, or working to solve a problem without the help of or probably even the knowledge or the concern of the elect elected officials or the electorate 
-hmm. itself. Um, yeah. And I hear that and I'm like, well, how do we, what, what are the things that we, that could be done to make well, life easier? I think it's kind of like, um, you know, when we go into communities and like, no community enjoys being visited by someone who says, I know what's best for you. Right. It, you're, you should go into a community and say, like, what do you want? Like, how do you, what do you need? Right. Mm -hmm. And that is how you get community engagement. If you yeah. go in and say, you know, if, if we give you the resources and get you set up, we could stay out of your way and you could run this. Right. Yeah. And it's, so it's like, if you go to communities where maybe it's not liberal or whatever, but like, you know, a lot of these people are not, would not consider themselves progressive or environmentalists, but they have a very immediate concern about right. making a living. Yeah. <laughs> because if their right. crops fail, you know, they're in massive debt and they have to try to hope for, you know, uh, the government to like subsidize or something and yeah. or bail them out. And so it's like, we are getting to the point where like a lot of this stuff, it affects you no matter how you feel. Right. You know? Yeah. No matter what your opinion of it is, like we're having a really uh, severe weather like from fires to floods yeah. drought all of that yeah and so like you can find common ground with people and just be like and 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 i remember reading uh a couple different articles about how they got it set up at western kansas with water management and it was not going in and saying this is what you need to do but just going in and and saying educating like saying like, what do you wish could happen? You know, and then it's like, and then educating and saying, affirming that, yes, you are definitely experiencing a problem here. And then educating them about like, well, this is how, this is how water works basically. Mm -hmm. Like this is how the aquifer recharges and this is what is happening. This is why you're having issues and stuff. And then, you know, people, People have no problem with collective action when it's a barn raising. Right. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like there's a history of everyone coming together to get something done and everyone coming together to help. Right. Uh, someone out of a situation. So it's like, if, if you can, if you can like find what, what matters and then just tap into that, mindset of helping your neighbor and having your neighbors help you like like this is what we do here we're kansans we we help each other get through hard times that kind of messaging instead of coming out there and being like you jerks like why are you doing that like why are you taking all the water you know like, don't you know i mean i think i tell you, i feel like you kind of hit the nail on the head like you know that collective action can take different forms and that if if we can begin to and I, I feel like part of it is like how do we strip strip things down to the the basic core like the you know the self-interest 
your self-interest is like, you know, we, we, we've got to take care of our crops. We got to take care of our community. Yeah. And you strip down all the political BS and it's like, how do we solve this problem? How do we, how do we do this together? I feel like, and I, I actually think that that may be part of in play with what happened in, on August 2nd, like, you know, beyond our political leanings, this is all, this is going to affect you regardless of how you vote traditionally. Um, And there's no regard to, to how you vote. It will impact everybody the same. And to be honest, um, when I actually looked at a map that showed that like, almost the entire Western half of Kansas has like 20% of the population. Yeah. Then I was like, Oh, I keep, even though I know better, I keep thinking land mass equals votes. Right. (laughs) And so I think of the little tiny blue dots in Northeast Kansas and I'm like, Oh, but then there's the rest of the state. Yeah. It's like, well, 80% of us are like right here. Right. So like maybe I should have been a little more hopeful because the numbers, even though there is an an ideology that is like loudly broadcasted, I think when all is said and done, the majority of people are practical and don't want anyone telling them what they do with their own body. Right. And they understand that sometimes really tough decisions have to be made. Yep. That's right. And I, I, I know for a fact that like, it really helped that women came forward and I don't think they should have had to do this, but there were so many women that came forward and said, you know, I've been trying to have a baby for 10 years and I've had like four miscarriages and each time I had to take, I had an abortion because the fetus died, you know, like I was having a miscarriage. It wasn't clearing. I had an ectopic pregnancy and it it wasn't, you know, there was still a heartbeat, but it was, I mean, when one of those bursts, like your entire abdomen fills with blood, like it's gruesome, but like getting that out there so that people could read it and be like, Oh, like this, this could also be taken off the table. Like just, the the understanding like these are all like really grave healthcare decisions that yeah. and that people face and i think that may have pulled in some people who were of the opinion that like there's never a good time to have an abortion like you shouldn't use it as birth control or whatever and eventually we can get to the point where we're like listen, like, what do you do when birth control fails? <laughs> you know, right. right, right. <laughs> it, it is a form of backup birth control. And, you know, people, ha- I think a lot of people over the last several years have had to make like really hard decisions about things. Like we've seen, a, like people have lost like entire family members to COVID, like yeah. lost their jobs, like yeah. everyone has been through a lot. And I think, I wonder if if that didn't play into it a little bit of just the idea of like, life is hard enough and we've already got like, yeah. like 
the thought that we're like giving up yet another freedom over our body yeah. to determine, you know, yeah, and, and just also the idea that like we were seeing examples of legislators not recognizing that ectopic pregnancies couldn't be re-implanted, like right, right. helping people understand how the body works <laughs> helped. <laughs> You know, but, it, it yeah. yeah, it was it was astonishing to, um, you know, like uh, Senator Roger Marshall, he issued a statement, um, something to the effect that he was disappointed with, you know, the outcome of, you know, this. And I'm like, you're a doctor, man. I mean, well, he also voted against in the climate change bill. He obviously voted against that voted against um, the insulin, uh, cap any insulin cost yeah, at $35. That, I mean, it really is embarrassing. Was... But as, you, as you've been talking about the water crisis in Western Kansas, I'm like, how does a guy from Kansas, he and Senator Moran, he doesn't get off the hook either. How, how are they voting against a climate change bill when climate change is impacting their constituency directly. I think they're both old and they're not going to be here when it really hits the fan. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. How do uh, oil and gas executives sleep at night? <laughs> well, I, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm glad to see that, you know, um, that it, you, they will extend the credit for, you know, electronic vehicles, but I'm also like, it's not very equitable. Like I, I, to me, uh, I want to see a stimulus for people to buy an an electric vehicle. I want to see money thrown at mass transit. Yeah. So that. People who can't afford an electric vehicle can yeah. ride one in the form of a city bus to get yes. to work and where they need to go and all that. Like, yeah, because, oh, the thought, the thought, how many cars do we have now? How many trucks do we have now? Like personal and company trucks yeah. and cars. And the thought that those vehicles can't be retrofitted to be electric vehicles and all of those vehicles are going to have to be replaced with electric vehicles that's not sustainable at all that's just not no it's not like in to me it would make a whole lot more sense to be investing in mass transit right now like buses and light rail like because that is not saving the planet either if you're creating like 4 billion more cars and trucks, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so do you, do you believe we can, can you see kind of a, a net zero Kansas? Is there an appetite? Uh, I know I'm sure there's an appetite. Is there an appetite even in Lawrence to do this? To like. To really, to really invest in mass transit to really look at becoming like a net zero can Lawrence can Lawrence become net zero 
in 30 years, 40 years? I don't, I don't know. I mean, it seems like my son's generation, there was a lot more kids who are used to taking the bus, like getting around without a car, uh, with income inequality, like it, a lot more kids are not going to have their own car. Like they're just not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think this next generation has already been through so much and they're seeing that basically previous generations are being like, here, you deal with this. And also as evidenced by last week's election that, yeah, when you actually like get right down to the point where you can see the tornado, like you do something yeah. about it finally, right. you know? Yeah. Yeah, we'll probably try to make a last ditch effort to to do something about it. I mean, now we don't have we don't have much time. If if ending climate change is something that's on our collective bucket list, we we can't we can't put it off. We yeah. we have to we have to get it done. We have to get it done now. I think in our country, um, because we're so individualized people are just going to have to hurt like their people will have to have things happen to them before they will be like okay you know that seems to be the way it goes it's like yeah if you see it happen close up and you're like oh okay now yeah. i see, then it's like okay great come on like yeah. i'm not even arguing with people anymore i'm not even i used to really be like how do you not see this? Like, oh, oh, now you want to do something about it, yeah. you know? And now I'm like, we don't have time for that. Come on. Like, yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking uh, uh, before this conversation that the first time we actually met was in Lawrence. Yeah. Uh, 2013. Yeah. Um, at Nico's, Nico's show. Yeah. Liberty Hall. Yeah. Have, were we following each other b- before then, or did we actually meet then? I can't. I, can't I think recall. we were following each other before then because you were part of that group with like Sarah, yeah, and Jules and yeah, Denise, I think, and like yep, a yep. couple others of yeah. just like the Twitter posse, basically. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know what's something I kick myself to this day because I got to hang out with her before the show. Because I was like, oh, you should come eat here. And she was like, I think I will. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> and like, and then we went to the show and you were invited to hang out with her afterwards. Yeah. And you had you had invited me, like, do you want to come with? And I was like, oh, I shouldn't be greedy. Like, but looking back, I'm like, I should have gone because we could have all just hung out and talked. Like, I don't know. It was one of those things where I I didn't want to seem like I wanted you to have your time with her. Yeah. But then as we've gotten to know each other and become friends, I'm like, oh man, I really wish I had just been like, yeah, all right. And just went back. I I wish you would have too. Um, To this day, that's one of those intrusive thoughts that I get right before I fall asleep. (laughs) (laughs) 